Fantastic. Um, we as a church family, wherever we happen to be meeting, we love to sing, we love to pray, and we love to listen to God's word as we try and understand, and not just to understand, but to live by what Jesus says. Um, we think that Jesus is an extraordinary teacher. And the things he says are not what you might expect him to say. And they get under your skin and they challenge you to live a life that is different. And that's what we're going to hear again today in Matthew chapter 5. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's explaining and teaching what life in his kingdom is like. What should you expect? He says this, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, we're going to need some... We're going to need God's help, so why don't we pray? Let's ask for God's help, and then we'll um, dive in to understand what Jesus is talking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this afternoon that we've got these words open in front of us. Lord, please help us to understand. Help us to sit at the feet of Jesus. And wherever we sit this afternoon, whether we have been following Jesus for years or whether we're not sure what we believe, we pray this afternoon that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's what I thought we'd do. I thought we'd start at the bottom and work back up today because the last sentence Jesus says is really quite a shocker. So I thought we'd go for that one and then work our way back up and see how it works back into what Jesus is saying. Because verse 48 is sort of the the build-up. This is what Jesus has been building up to in his Sermon on the Mount up to this point. And he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect perfect. That's, that's quite a big thing to say, right? I wonder what your relationship with the word perfect is like. You know, we have relationships with words, right? Words that we hear and they do something to us. What's your relationship with the word perfect like? Is it a word that you like? You know, who's the person who tells you to hold things in your home if you want to declutter your home? You hold it and you... How does it make you feel? Is this something nice? Does it make you feel joy? If it doesn't, chuck it out. That's a dangerous way to declutter. (laughs) Let's do that with this word. Let's hold the word perfect. How does it make you feel? Do you like it? I reckon we probably have quite a complicated relationship with the word perfect. You see, I think the word perfect is something we go, oh, that's perfect. And we're like, oh, that's nice. We like that. But if you begin to let the word perfect sit too long begins to feel quite uncomfortable. I think some of us find the word perfect to be oppressive, crushing. Some of us are what might be termed perfectionists, right? The word perfect kind of is constantly there saying, you're falling short, you're falling short. (laughs) 
And so we hear Jesus say, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we thought, yes, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. Jesus is making a demand of me that is way beyond what I can achieve. And it's just going to leave me feeling rubbish. As the theologian Homer Simpson once said, why should I go to church and be told how rubbish I am? Why would I want to do that? Well, I want us to suggest we need to think carefully about this word perfect for a second. Because it might be that we're missing something if we find that word to be crushing. Some people, now there is, there is debate around why Jesus said this, okay? So I just want to be upfront about that. Different Christians will disagree. I'm going to try and show you why, what, what I think it means so that we can explore that together. Some people say what Jesus is doing is he's setting a target that's so high that you will definitely fail, so that you will go, oh, I'm rubbish, I need a savior, and so that you'll run to him and be saved. Does that make sense? So some people would say, that's what Jesus is doing. Be perfect. You've got to get 100% in your test. Oh, you failed. You need a savior. Some people think it's that. Other people say, no, no, what Jesus is talking about um, is, is a standard that we're supposed to aim for. And we're supposed to try our very best. We're supposed to do as best we can to get as close to perfect as we can. But it becomes crushing. So some people think this sentence is supposed to expose us and others find that this sentence just crushes them. I want to suggest there's a third way. And the third way is the key to seeing it is how God is described in this verse. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word perfect um, the New Testament is translated from Greek. The word perfect, it, it doesn't mean perfect like we imagine perfect instinctively, like 100% in a test. It means complete. It means mature. So what Jesus is saying is he is saying that in his kingdom, we will grow to become mature, complete. So... And it's all rooted in what God is like. You see, God is described by Jesus as a heavenly father. A heavenly father who is perfect. Now I want to suggest to you that a perfect father is different to a perfect headmaster. Right? A perfect father is not as terrifying as a perfect headmaster. A perfect headmaster sets you a maths test that's so hard that just makes you feel rubbish and says, no, you've failed because you only got 98%. But a perfect father is a father who wants to see you flourish and to thrive and to grow, to be all that you could be, to become complete. And so what we have in this verse is not Jesus trying to expose you as rubbish or trying to crush you. Instead, he is saying your heavenly father is this beautiful, perfect father who loves you with a perfect love. And he, the command is to grow into the perfection, the maturity that he has for you. To become all that God intends for you to be. 
You see, the God of the Bible is the one who made you. He knows you perfectly. He designed you. And therefore, we will find our truest self when we find our relationship with him. We will find our completeness when we find our place in relationship with the perfect Heavenly Father. Okay, I hope that all makes a bit of sense. What we're going to do is we're going to try and back up and see what leads up to that. Because what Jesus is saying to us in these verses is neither a command that's to expose, neither a command that's to crush, but is the loving instruction of a father who wants us to grow to be all that he has for us. So let's go back up to verse 43. And this is the issue we're talking about today. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Here's the issue for today. Our perfect heavenly father is a father who loves his enemies. And therefore, his purpose and plan for us as his children is that we would increasingly grow into the perfection of loving our enemies. But that's hard. You see, here's the deal, right? Loving your enemies doesn't come naturally. And I'm going to use this as a big idea right the way through this. The difference between what comes instinctively to us and what we have to grow in. So imagine you're on a... We weren't in this school this afternoon, but we're in a... Oh, this probably isn't very helpful. Never mind. We're in a water park. Okay, it's beautiful. And it's a lovely sunny day. And we're going to go on the lazy river together. You know the lazy river? You get a big rubber ring, and it's, it's like the best way to swim, right? It's brilliant, because you've got a nice little current that drags you around, and all you do is you sit there, and you, uh, you, know, you take a can of Coke and some nibbles, and you lie in your rubber ring with your friends, and you just go. It takes no effort at all. Right? You don't have to do anything. You just go along with the flow. Lots of our behavior in life is like that, right? It's instinctive. It's just what we do. I don't think about it. I just do it. It's like when you go to the doctor and you, they test your reflexes. And they hit your leg with a thing, a hammer. And you, you, your leg kicks, right? It's like that. You don't think about it. I don't sit there and think, oh, he's hitting my leg with a hammer. I better flick my leg. Although it does make you slightly paranoid, doesn't it? Because every time that's ever happened to me, I'm like, I'm going to try and hold my leg still. I'm going to defy him. Oh, no, I can't. Because there's this instinctive thing that just happens. And what I want us to see this afternoon is that there is an instinctive behavior that flows out of us that Jesus says we need to learn to master. We need to learn... To go the other way. So let's, let's get into this. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is the sixth time that Jesus has said, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And every time he's quoted something from the law, from the, from the Old Testament, from God's instructions to his people. Things like do not murder. That's one of God's laws. But here's your problem. If you look for love your neighbor and hate your enemy, you will struggle to find it. 
You will find love your neighbor. One of God's good commands was love your neighbor. It's in Leviticus 19. Here we go. I'll just read you a little bit because then you'll hear it. This is what it says. Um, Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this is pretty clear. Love your neighbor. But Jesus says that they've twisted it. So this good command, love your neighbor, has been sort of twisted and distorted and added onto by the religious leaders of the day. Love your neighbor, oh, and hate your enemy. Because when you hear the command, love your neighbor... What's the obvious question? Well, who's my neighbor? How far does that extend? You know, when you drop a stone into a river and you get the circles that go out. How many circles out do we have to go before I can stop calling them my neighbor? Is it just the people who live next door to me? That's typically what it means, neighbor. According to the Australian soap opera, neighbors, it's your street. Right, it's your whole street. All of Ramsey Street appears to be neighbours. Is it that? They didn't do a great job of loving each other all the time, but never mind. How far does this neighbour thing go? Is it just my people? Is it my nationality? Where do I stop? And in order to answer that question, the religious leaders of the day had put a line. They'd said, love your neighbour, but there are some who are outside of that line. Okay, So you've got a line that is... Everyone inside this line is my neighbor. Everyone outside of it is my enemy. I have a responsibility to love the people within. But if I love them, then I hate the ones outside. That's quite a distortion of what God says, okay? That's not what God said. And yet, actually what they're reflecting is, I think, what comes instinctively to us. So let's play the lazy river game. Here's the lazy river. We're floating along the lazy, lazy river. And here comes someone who you... Oh, they're so cool. They're just so much fun. They make your life better. They're kind to you. They're just great. You like the same sort of stuff. And your rubber rings bump into each other. It's instinctive to love them, right? That doesn't take any effort. It's not hard to love the people that you like. That's just instinctive love. But what about when you bump into someone different to that? Somebody's outside of your circle. What's your reaction to them? Now, this is where I want us to be really careful. Because I think a lot of us imagine... But we don't really, I'm not a very hateful person. I was reading this this week, thinking, love your enemies. I think, all right, I'll make a list of my enemies. Um, I don't know, really. Have you got enemies? Some of you may well have people that you, that you would say, no, they're definitely an enemy. They've been a real pain in my life. But a lot of us, I think, we just find ourselves thinking, I don't know what my enemies are. I don't know who my enemies are. Okay, let me help with that a little bit. 
I think this language of enemy, defining enemy, might be slightly bigger than we think it is. Uh, okay, um, do you ever show favoritism? Are there people that you are instinctively drawn to and that you like at the exclusion of others? Do you ever experience that sort of thing? Okay, what about this? Do you ever find yourself being jealous of other people? Looking at other people and in your heart, wishing them harm. Does that ever happen to you? Perhaps not like terrible things, but just a little thing that comes into your heart. I had this. I remember when I was a teenager. I mean, I have this a lot. <laughs> Sorry, it's not that I haven't had it since I was a teenager. I was first clarinet in an orchestra. I was very proud. I sat in the first clarinet seat. And then one day, a girl came to our orchestra carrying what looked suspiciously like a clarinet. But I was okay. I was confident in my own ability. Her name was Carola. I haven't forgotten. <laughs> it very quickly became clear, as she sat in the second clarinet seat, that she was significantly better than me. And it was not many weeks that went by until the conductor came and said, uh, John T, we'd like you to be second clarinet and Carola to be first clarinet. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? I've got to be honest with you. I used to think bad thoughts. I used to hope Carla's fingers would fall off. <laughs> Perhaps as she's walking along the street. I don't know why, but they might just fall off. She's got no fingers to play anymore with. And we, it's easy to laugh about it in some ways, but I think we do this. It really sickens me to think of the times when I hear about someone else's misfortune and there's a little bit of me that goes, oh, I'm quite pleased about that. Why do we do that? That's an instinctive reaction that comes out. I don't choose that. It just comes out. And so there's favoritism, there's jealousy, and there's also apathy. I just don't care. So there are people that I find it really easy to care about. We bob along the, the lazy river and I really care about them and it's not hard. But there's other people I, I don't care at all. I hear about their suffering on the news. I hear about suffering that's going on in different places in the world. I hear about other things that are happening and I don't care. I certainly don't love them. And I think all of that stuff is encapsulated in this idea of hating your enemies. Now you may think that sounds quite strong, but I want you to try and see how big this is. When Jesus was asked by someone, well, who is my neighbor? He told a story about the Good Samaritan. He told a story about a bloke who was injured and two people, they just walked by. They didn't care. And Jesus said... They are treating him as an enemy. They are hating him, not loving him. How often have we just walked by? 
Because that's what comes out instinctively. Here's my point. Love and hate in this starting point are instinctive reactions. We don't choose who we love and we don't choose who we hate. We just do it. No one chooses to hate anyone. You just find yourself hating them. You don't wake up one day and you go, oh, I think I'm going to hate Johnny today. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him a horrible note to say how much I hate him. No one does that. You don't choose it. You just feel it. It comes instinctively. And so they've taken this good law, love your neighbor, which was supposed to be a law that called you to love all of humanity as your neighbor. And what they've done is they said, well, let's just make it instinctive. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let's just go with that because we do that. That's easy. That's what they've done. Here comes Jesus bringing his amazing kingdom. He says, no, in my kingdom, this is not how it works. In my kingdom, it's completely different. So verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That comes like a thunderbolt out of the blue. You have to bear in mind that the people Jesus is speaking to are under the Roman oppressors. They're being taxed relentlessly. They're being cruelly treated. And Jesus says, when you see them, love them. It's not enough to tolerate them. It's not enough to ignore them. You love them. Okay, so let's talk love. You see, love is a difficult word in our culture because we use it to mean all sorts of different things. I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love them differently. It's a different thing. And yet that's how we use the word love. And what Jesus is doing is he's using this word love, which we use in all sorts of like, ah, kind of strange ways. We talk about falling in love. That's weird. Every time I fall, it's bad. I I never, you know, falling is, is an involuntary thing. And so we think that love is something that just happens to us. That's instinctive love. Hold, stay with this, right? That's the love that just carries you along down the lazy river. Love your Neighbor, the the love that you feel naturally is instinctive. Jesus is calling us to a different sort of love, a completely different sort of love. And the difference is that this is a love that chooses to love. It chooses it. This is a love that is an act of the will, not just an instinctive reaction of the heart. This is a love that says, despite what I feel, I will choose to love. Do you hear that? Despite what I feel, I will choose to love. And the object of that love is to be our enemies. This is radical teaching. This is not instinctive. This is not the way our world naturally works. But if we could love this way, it would change the world. How many people today around our world are weeping? Right now, they're crying because of their experience of human hatred. Human hatred destroys everything. 
When we act in hate, whether that is violence or whether it is favoritism or whether it is apathy or whether it is jealousy, when we act in violence and hate towards another human being, it destroys. It destroys. And it causes these fractures to open up in such a way that we are weeping. You know that song, Kumbaya, my Lord? Not one we sing very often. <laughs> you know, Kumbaya, my Lord? I'm not going to sing it. You know it, right? You look blank. You do know it. Come on, tell me. Some of you know it. Kumbaya, my Lord, right? There's a verse in that. It's this funny song. You sing around a campfire. I don't know why we sing around campfires, but we do. And there's a verse in that that says, Someone's crying, my Lord. Kumbaya. Someone's crying, my Lord. And it strikes me that that is always true. There is always someone crying in our world, all the time. Right now, there are people who are sobbing because of human hatred. It's really sobering, isn't it? You see, the natural instinct of the human heart to love those that we love, but to hate those that we oppose causes so much damage and grief in our world. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, we're going to break that cycle. In my kingdom, we're going to change things. In my kingdom, we're not going to see hate breeding hate. In my kingdom, we're going to see hate being responded to with love. In such a way that it overcomes, right? It overcomes. You've got to see this, right? That it swallows up. Okay, look, hate that breeds hate, that breeds hate, that breeds hate, just goes on and on and on. But hate that is responded to with love is swallowed up. It is, that's, that's the language Paul uses in, um, in Romans 12. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Swallow it up. The hate that comes, swallow it up with love. When you find a little bit of jealousy in your heart towards Carola, wishing that her fingers would follow up, fall off, swallow it up with love. Buy her some mittens. No, not mittens. That would be bad. Gloves with finger. I don't know. When you find there's something of hate in you, swallow it up with love. Resist the instinctive response to respond with hate. Swallow it. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Now you may say that's too hard. That, that's too hard. Let's see why. Why would we do that? Verse 45, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Why would you do this? Because this is what your Father in heaven is like. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's the argument Jesus makes. Love, swallow up love with hate because that is what God does. That is what God is like. Here's the problem. Your view of God will determine how you respond. What you think God is like will impact the way that you then live your life. In the film Bruce Almighty, which is old now, I know, But it's interesting because 
Bruce has this view of God at the start where he says, smite me, O thou mighty smiter. (laughs) And the reason I mention that is because I think that lots of people have this view of God that he's angry and that he hates everyone (laughs) and that he's waiting for anyone to step out of line and he'll just smash them. Jesus says, that's not what your father's like. Your father's not an angry God who's waiting to destroy you with thunderbolts. He's not a God who wants you to fail. He's not a God who wants his creatures to to mess up so that he can punish them. He loves. He loves his enemies. So look, he loves even those who would turn their back on him, even those who would shake their fist in his face, even those who would ignore him. He loves them. So look at the example. He sends Sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the evil and the good. This is what Jesus is saying. Every single day, you can see what your heavenly father is like. Every single time. Okay, so here's here's Farmer Fred. um, And Farmer Fred is... Uh, loves God, right? He loves God and he offers sacrifices and he's faithful to God. And then down the road, there's Farmer Fran and um, she doesn't love God. She ignores God. She gets on with her own life, doing it her own way. They get exactly the same weather. Exactly the same weather. Because God treats his enemies with love. I think we just don't see this, right? Because we have this weird view of the world that it just sort of happens naturally. Oh, well, the world just goes on as it is. No, it doesn't. God, our Heavenly Father, is always in control of this world, giving good gifts to everybody, every good thing that you enjoy. And whether you are a Christian or you're not a Christian, you still enjoy good things. And every good thing you enjoy is from God. And every good thing shows you that he loves his enemies. You can ignore him for the whole of your life and he will still give you good things. He will swallow up your hatred of him with love. That's what God is like. And it isn't just the rain that he sends. Because as you read on through Matthew's gospel, you discover that God has given his son, Jesus. This is how much, right, look, please hear this, right? If if you've drifted off, please, this is the most important thing. If you want to know why we should love our enemies, it's because God first loved his enemies. When I was his enemy... When I was living my life as if he did not exist, when I was living my life for myself, when I was living my life doing whatever I wanted, floating down the lazy river, doing whatever came naturally to me, ignoring the God who'd made me, when I was living my life that way, God gave me rain. And he gave me sun. And he gave me breath. And he gave me those good things that my heart might turn towards him. And then he said to you, John, I don't just love you with those things. I love you with the best gift of all. I gave my son. And Jesus, at the cross, as Jesus died, God says to us, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love my enemies. 
Because at the cross, as Jesus died, God gave his son as the perfect gift so that I might become part of his family, part of his kingdom. You see, God is not an angry God who is waiting to smash us, but he is a God of justice who if we continually ignore him for the whole of our lives, after he gives us so many good things, if we ignore him and ignore him and ignore him, then there will be a day when we face his punishment. Not because he's an angry God who wants to smash us, but because he's a patient God who loves us. But if we choose to reject him, then he will reject us. And so instead of, and so because he loves you so much, he gives you Jesus so that you might be saved, so that you might become one of his children. So why should we love our enemies? Well, because God does. It was while we were still enemies that Christ Jesus died for us. And so when I find my heart hostile to someone, when I find my heart jealous, when I find my heart apathetic, when I find my heart angry, when I find my heart resentful, hateful, wishing harm on someone, I need to lift my eyes to God and say, God, please help me to love. You loved me, help me to now love my enemies. That's the only way to do it. And Jesus goes on, he calls out um, in verse 46, If you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Stop thinking that loving people who love you back is somehow impressive. That's just lazy river loving, right? If I make a meal for my friends and they all come over and we have a lovely evening, I shouldn't pat myself on the back and go, well, well done me, haven't I been loving No, you've just done what comes naturally. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's nice to have a meal with your friends. Great. But that's not the love Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, no, you show that love to people who don't love you back. And I love how simple Jesus is. He says, pray for people. Greet them. These aren't big things, right? Greet them as you walk down the street. Pray for them. But if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Look, I hope you can see the point. The point is, when you know that God has loved you, when you know that you were an enemy of God and he has brought you into his kingdom, when you know that the God of the universe has loved you, when you were his enemy, then you will love your enemies. It will change you. And as we begin to learn to do that, we become mature, complete. We become the children of God that he created us to be. We become like our heavenly father. Now this is hard teaching. And there's all sorts of questions that have come up from this and we're not going to tackle them all now. I don't don't want to... I want to land this so that we can finish um, and pray. But I do want just to think, who are the people that we find it hardest to love? 
Who are the people that God this afternoon is calling us to act with this kingdom love towards? Who are the people that you tend to ignore? Who are the people that you tend to be jealous of? Who are the people that you tend to be suspicious or resentful of? Jesus asking us, calling us to love them like he's loved us. So look, we could, um, we could spend the rest of our lives on the lazy river, okay? You could bob your way around the lazy river, loving people who love you, ignoring people, getting angry, bitter towards people who hate you. Or you can get off the lazy river and start living a life of radical kingdom love that changes the world. That's what he's calling us to. So we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. And we're going to think. And we're going to ask that he would help us. That he would help us to love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us. We confess we find this so hard. Um, But Lord, we thank you that you are a father, not a headmaster. You're a father of perfect love. You're a father who's loved your enemies, who even now is loving your enemies as you send rain and provide food. You're a God who still loves this world, even though the world has hated you. Father, thank you that you're a God of perfect love. Please help us to respond. Help us to receive your love. Help us to accept that you love us. Help us to receive the love that we don't deserve. Help us to rejoice and to delight in being part of your beloved children of God, to be part of your kingdom, this kingdom of love. And as we experience your love for us, we pray that it would overflow, that we would become the complete people, the complete children of God that you created us to be, that we'd go out into this world to live these lives of love. Lives where we don't just go with the flow, where we don't just react instinctively, but where we live as your children and where you change us to love those, even those who would oppose us even those that we don't care about, those that we're jealous of, that, Lord, we'd move towards them in love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.